You are listening to Truth Two with Jono and G'day to Nichelle in Texas and Suzanne who shared the Torah Pearls on Facebook. And wherever you may be around the world, it is good to have your company. It is time for Pearls from the Torah Portion with Keith Johnson and Hamia Gordon. G'day, fellas. G'day. G'day. A shout out to uh, Ozzy from East LA, to Maureen from Groverton, uh, Indiana, Barkala Ahman Ben Sion. I don't think that's his real name. From Independence, Missouri, and Cindy Simmons, thanks for listening. And I want to give a shout-out to Pope Benedict in Rome, who's uh, hopefully listening to Torah Pearls. Hey. I was there uh, trying to meet with him, so I'm very excited about the, uh, the the way that this is spreading around the world. It's a very exciting. Hang on a minute, Keith. You said you were trying to meet with him. What, he didn't meet with you? Of course I met with him, but there was some confusion. I can talk about that later, but the exciting thing is Torah Pearls is around the world. I, I keep meeting people everywhere, and they, they know about Torah Pearls, and so I'm hoping that uh, the Pope will listen. Uh, I think it could really educate him. Hey, you know, I have actually had some visits on the website from the Holy See. All right, there it well, is. It might have been him. Now, now we, we do this program every week from three continents. Jonah in Australia. Yep. Myself, Nehemiah Gordon in uh, Southwest West Asia in, in a, a little country <laughs> called Israel. And over in the eastern part of the North America, we've got uh, Keith Johnson over in Charlotte, North Carolina. How's the weather there, um, Keith? Right. Well, there, there's a bit of a shift. Go ahead, Nehemiah. <laughs> Something's different this week. I, you, you sound so much clearer, Keith. What's going on? <laughs> well, I have to say to everyone, I'm very excited about this because uh, we're actually recording this particular show and hopefully another one from Jerusalem. I'm actually in the spot. I'm looking hey! out the window not far from the promenade where you can look over and see the old city. And to my left, I can see Nehemiah uh, not far from his apartment where he goes to Tal Bagels. I am really right here in the middle of Jerusalem. It's so exciting. And so I'm really inspired to do this Torah Pearls uh, uh, Excellent. Show. So Keith Johnson in Jerusalem. Nehemiah Gordon there in Jerusalem. John Bandor in Jerusalem. Uh, oh. John Obandor Aren't in you in the city that has that terrorist living there? Yeah, let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> in a little country town in New South Wales. Hey, today we are in Metzorah, Leviticus 14, verse 1 to 15, 33. And it begins like, uh, it's got more leprosy. It starts with yes, leprosy. Sir. I thought we were yes. done yeah, with the leprosy. leprosy. <laughs> All right, now listen, listen, even before we begin, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I... Uh, Nehemiah, I want to I want to kick off with Psalm 119, verse 18, even before we start this. Is that okay? Can, mm-hmm. Would you be able to pray yes. prayer that that our eyes may be open because <laughs> it's it's a difficult one. Off you go. Yehovah Eloheinu Avinu Shabashamayim Gal Eninu Venabita Niflaot Mitoratecha Yehovah, our God, God of our fathers, our Father in heaven. Please open our eyes that we may see the wonderful hidden things of your Torah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much. Because this is the way it begins. You ready? Come on. Okay. Then Yehovah spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. Now, honestly, honestly, Keith, what we're about to read. Wait a minute, because we've got to stop right there because mine doesn't say that. What what does yours say? Translation. Even though I'm in Jerusalem and I've got my Hebrew Bible and all of my my uh, you all of my your sources, really inspired. I don't have Hebrew? I don't have everything. But but one of the things it says in this particular version is it says these are the regulations for the diseased person. It doesn't say no. for leprosy. So I'm wondering if Nehemiah might take a look real quick. Let's clarify who we're talking about here because it, it you know it could be okay. Well, else. what it literally says is uh, this will be the Torah of the Mitzorah of the leper. Uh, in the day of his uh, purification, mm-hmm. 
Um, mm-hmm. Now, in uh, I don't know if you know this, Keith, but not far from where the two of us are sitting is one of the only remaining leper colonies in the world. Um, mm. It's actually in, I'm sitting on prime real estate in the heart of Jerusalem. And back, I think, I don't know, like in the 50s or something like that, the government forced these uh, people who, were, who had leprosy into a leper colony and put a wall around them and told them in exchange for losing their freedom, they actually passed the law, in exchange for losing their freedom, they would be allowed to live in this leper colony for life with the government stipend. Well, sometime a few decades ago, I don't know when exactly, they uh, cured le- the, the disease commonly known as leprosy, Hansen's disease. Mm-hmm. They found a cure for it. And so these people are now leper-free, but they're getting a lifelong pension and oh, um, wow. and place to live in the heart of Jerusalem. And there's real estate moguls uh, who are just literally waiting for these people to die so they can make their millions and build, oh uh, build on this property right. in, in the heart of Jerusalem. But this mitzvah, uh, the mitzvah of the Tanakh, uh, is generally understood not to be the same as Hansen's disease. And I think we talked about that in the last program. Um, mm-hmm. So whatever this mitzvah is, it's some kind of different disease. And um, may Jehovah open our eyes that we can see those hidden th- wonderful things of his Torah. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 No, but, amen. But, Keith, when I think of a leper colony, right, I, I think of uh, Ben-Hur, right? I think of the movie Ben-Hur right. because we – Absolutely. We, now, how, how accurate do we understand that to be? No, Look, I, so you this know, was a communicable I, disease that people lived for years with, uh-huh. and so they they were forced to live outside of you know away from other people, so they didn't infect them. Okay. You know, you had in, in India, you had the untouchables. The reason they were untouchable a lot of the time is they were they had leprosy. Okay. Um, it was you know, all right, pretty accurate. All right. Well, we, we we're going to get into it. You ready, Keith? We're going to. Um, yes. This is, this is how he shall be brought. Uh, he shall be brought to the uh, to the priest, and the priest shall go out. Of the camp, uh, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Uh, as for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them. In the living bird's blood, in, in the blood of the, of the bird, so dip them with the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. Then he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and uh, shall let the living bird loose in the open field. All right, now, first of all, honestly, that just, I read that and I think that's one of the weirder things I've read in, in the Torah. Is, I mean, does, are there many yeah. things that rival that? Well, there's an interesting story about um, this pagan uh, a Roman who came to one of the rabbis, and um, you know, and he says, "You, you got you Jews, you practice magic." And he and he cited one of these sacrifices, mm-hmm. and um, the, one of the sacrifices of purification, specifically the sacrifice regarding the red heifer, that, that, the ritual of the red heifer. And he said, "Look, this is magic." And the rabbi responded and he said, you know, look, you have your rituals that you do when someone is possessed by demons. And, um, and, and really what we're doing with these rituals is we're driving out the demon. And, and in that world, that was considered a legitimate thing. It wasn't considered magic. Mm-hmm. It was considered like, look, this is a fact of life that we're infected with demons. And the only way to get them out is through these weird, strange rituals. And, um, and when, the, when the, the pagan was satisfied by this answer and he walked away, 
And then the disciples came up to the rabbi and they said, Rabbi, is it true? Are we really driving out demons with, I mean, come on, like that's some base superstition. Mm -hmm. Did you really mean that? And he said, no, that's what I answered him. That's what I answered the pagan because it's terms that he could understand. But why do we do these rituals? Because God commanded us to do so. And we're not driving out demons. Um, It could have been a blue heifer or a a white and black heifer. And the reason Mm -hmm. it was a red heifer is because God commanded us to. And, uh, and, and we don't need to explain the reason for all these different, uh, the details of all these sacrifices. It's, uh, um, it's really what it's about for us is showing our obedience to God, even though we don't understand. Keith, Keith, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just want to say that, um, the thing that I've, that I have found interesting, uh, being here, this is, it's so different when you're over in, I'm in the United States and I'm opening my Bible and I'm reading my Bible and, and listen, I mean, there's lots of wonderful things that come off the pages, but then to actually come here and to see some of the what I call uh, the leftovers of this sort of stuff that still exists today. I'll give you an example. I was in the old city, and um, there was an, an ultra-Orthodox rabbi that was sitting uh, at the old at the traditional site for the King King David's tomb. So so I go to him, and you know we're preparing to do this this uh, this section. So I go up to him, and, and uh, I just start talking to him. He starts talking to me. He goes back and forth. He says, "Okay, listen. So I want to give you a great blessing, and this is the blessing I want to give you." And he's talking to me, and he says, hold out your wrist. And what does he tie on my wrist, Nehemia? A red string. Mm-hmm. A red string. So he, he ties this little piece of red string on my, on my wrist. And, and so then I'm, I'm kind of saying, okay, so is this red string connected to the red scarlet string and the red yarn? And I'm going back and forth. And it's so funny because you wouldn't normally even think about that sort of thing when I'm over in the United States. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is I want to agree with Nehemia. You know, I don't know all of the details. I don't even understand all the details, but I thought about something. So right now I'm, I'm dealing with this uh, sickness that's been spread around the community. There's a community of five of us, mm-hmm. uh, Nehemia and Jocelyn and, and, and Jim and Susan and myself, and it's gone from one person to the next person to the next person to the next person. And I think about that in light of this idea of these communicable diseases and that how is it that you – stop the disease or how do you stop the spread of the disease sure. so it isn't it isn't just that you know um you know he's trying to come up with some rules and regulations and jumping through hoops there's actually something about this that is practical and the sure. practical aspect of it i think and i'd like i want to be challenged on this is once we see that you have this disease how do we make sure that this disease doesn't spread okay okay and just so let the listeners just, know just let the listeners know yeah. you're all suffering about, from don't cold, sneeze right? on me next time johnson <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny because they might hear us coughing and sneezing, and literally, it's been two weeks of spreading the disease. We all have this this thing, but I mean, I just think about that, and even the colony that you just mentioned, Nehemia, that that there were people that were set aside as as recently as some decades ago. I mean, to this day, there's still people in that place. They may not have the disease, but they represented this very issue, which was a real issue that mm-hmm. was taking place. I mean, imagine that you have that. Well, guess what? The Creator of the Universe has an issue, a way of addressing your disease. I mean, I, I just thought about it this morning, and I thought, okay, what if he said, for those who have a cough, here's what you have to do. Okay, let's do it. So you do it. And it, <laughs> so but, you but do it, doesn't, it. <laughs> Now, it doesn't stop there, Keith. It doesn't even stop there. We're in verse 8, and it says, he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and wash himself mm-hmm. in water uh, that he may be clean. And after that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day... He shall shave all the hair off his body uh, and his beard and his eyebrows, his eyebrows, and all the hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in the water and he shall be clean. Man. I want want to 
comment on this section here because I think this is really interesting, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the way that a different commandment has been interpreted uh, in in Jewish tradition. Nineteen twenty-seven. Yeah, can we look at that? So it's actually nineteen twenty-seven through twenty-eight. Yep. Uh, I think these two verses need to be read together, and it literally says in Hebrew, it says, "You shall not round." out the corners of your head and you shall not destroy the corners of your beard mm-hmm. uh, uh, cutting for the dead you shall not place in your flesh and a ta- uh, nor a tattoo you shall not uh, put in them I am Yehovah and yes. the way this has been understood the, the, there's actually four things here you've got the, the head, the beard cutting in the flesh and, and a tattoo mm-hmm. and these have been traditionally understood um, by many Jews as uh, a prohibition to shave the beard and um, specifically the way it's been understood is is uh, by rabbinical Jews is that you're not allowed to shave your beard all the way down to the face. You're allowed to uh, trim it though with the scissors, mm-hmm. um, and but you're not allowed to shave it with a razor. They say, and uh, and also the peyot, the uh, little um, side locks that you'll see on um, yes. on uh, on ultra orthodox Jews uh, and on Hasidic Jews, you'll see them like twirly. Um, so that actually is they under, that's based on this verse. They're trying to fulfill this verse. And, and the thing is, though, if we, we understand it in its context, both the, the context of the passage and the, and the historical context, it seems to me that this isn't actually a, a prohibition to, uh, to shave the face and the beard. And, and, and I don't see how it could be, because what we just read in Leviticus 14 is the commandment to, um, to shave exactly all the hair, including the eyebrows including and the, the beard eyebrows. and all yeah. the hair of, of the face. And look, there are some people out there who need to have their eyebrows shaved. There's no question about that. But, you know, like, like, like those people with the unibrow. But anyway, um, <laughs> well, now in the interest of full disclosure, there is some plucking that goes on with my eyebrows, but I won't, I won't elaborate beyond that. Um, anyway, so, um, so uh, you can see it, it, this isn't something that's, you know, I mean, it'd be like if there'd be a commandment in one place that, where God says, well, eat pork on Tuesday. And then there's a general commandment not to eat pork and be mm-hmm. like, well, wait a minute, well, was pork forbidden or isn't it? And, and, and you don't find that anywhere else in the Tanakh, any kind of commandment like that, any else in the Torah. Um, and uh, here, I think the context is, is really important, the historical context, especially of Leviticus 19. If you look throughout the Tanakh, and even in the passage in verse 28, it mentions for the dead. Well, what does the dead have to do with it? Mm. And if you read the same commandment where it's repeated, um, which is uh, so? If you look at the parallel passage, which is Deuteronomy 14, it says, "You are sons of Jehovah your God. You shall not uh, cut uh, cut yourselves or place a baldness between your eyes for the dead." So here it's talking about a similar sort of thing where you're cutting off the edges of your of your um, of the hair of your head mm-hmm. and placing cuts, which is two out of the four that we saw there in Leviticus 19:27 to 28. And here it makes it clear that both of those have to do with the dead. Whereas that's not so clear for both of them in Leviticus 19. Right. And if you look throughout the Tanakh, you find out that they would shave their heads and rip out the hair of their of their of their beards and mm-hmm. of their head when someone died, and they take knives and cut themselves. And actually, there are people who do this to this day yes. in the Middle East. When somebody dies, they'll uh, shave their head and rip out hair from their beard, and they'll cut themselves. And uh, the tattoos are also related to that because what they would do is they would write the name of a dead person. Write the name of the person who had died, and there's a verse in Isaiah that talks about how it's it'll be a positive thing that people will put a tattoo that says on their hand "belonging to Jehovah." Yes. And so I think what this t- passage Leviticus 19 is actually talking about are rituals related to the dead. Um, a similar thing is repeated in in Leviticus 21, 
where it talks about basically the same things are repeated in, in the context that's Leviticus 21.5 in the context of the priest, uh, specifically for the priest, and, and there the context is also not being uh, defiled or becoming ritually impure for the dead uh, mm-hmm. in the previous verse, verse 4. So what I'm saying is the historical and, 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 and context with the historical context and context within Scripture for these commandments isn't just shaving off the side locks of your hair or growing a really long beard. The context is specifically um, uh, shaving and cutting yourself as an act of mourning, as a ritual of mourning. Now, I'm not saying it's you, you know they, they didn't have beards in ancient times. They did. Most people had beards. Mm. Um, but that was the style. You know, for, that was simply the style, um, and that's why uh, they would do, go to this extreme act of shaving their beard when someone died as an act of mourning. And the Torah is telling you not to do that because those are essentially pagan mourning rituals. And I think that's what this is about, uh, refraining from uh, engaging in these pagan Yeah, refraining from uh, resembling um, uh, the people outside of, uh, you know, pagan rituals, as you say. And I, Keith, I will admit that uh, when I first came across these commandments, I understood them to say, hey, leave your beard alone. And uh, I think there's even still, you know, out in, in the internet webland somewhere, there's an article that I wrote years ago that sort of expresses that. But I've since come to the, to the understanding, that which Nehemiah has actually just uh, so well articulated, that uh, it's not necessarily the case and you don't have to have... I mean, I grew a really big beard and you guys have seen it. I, I you know, pardon the pun, but I really grew attached to it and I really liked it. And... Uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> I, I I recently just sort of trimmed it out because man, it gets hot here in Australia, and I just thought I just get something a bit yeah. shorter. Well, I think don't you think I think that the at least when I'm reading this, I, I actually um, read it a little bit from a little bit different perspective. When I'm reading it, I, I'm I'm hearing okay, so there's an issue of disease, and the disease is obviously not contained just on a person's hand or wherever. Maybe this disease is affecting you know, or, or some some aspects of the disease is somehow. All over or, the person's body, or maybe yeah, maybe hidden and maybe hidden under under the hair, right? right? It may so be hidden. Know. So then, so then, what I I mean, maybe this is too practical. But as I'm hearing this, I'm hearing because we're not at Leviticus 19 yet. And I understand the need to look at both, especially if people are arguing whether or not I should shave or not shave. But if I'm reading it and I'm hearing it and I'm I'm there listening to this this being this being taught, I'm hearing okay, there's an issue of disease, and and what we never need to do is we've got to. Once we get that issue cleared up or whatever, we've got to wash. And then washing would then include, for whether it's the unibrow or it's the long beard or whatever, we're going to have to clean everything and clear everything out before mm. we wash and then approach, um, you, know, a, a pro, you know, to be declared clean. And again, the, the point, even, even for me as I'm reading this, I still keep thinking about this. And I know we've talked about this in Leviticus. I still keep thinking about one issue. And the one issue is this. What do I have to do to approach the creator of the universe and he tells me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all I keep thinking about, you guys. I, I understand all of the details of it. So what do I have to do to approach him? And then he begins to say it. And we're going to go to the next chapter and we're going to deal with the other aspects here. But all of it is about approaching him and being able to be acceptable as I'm bringing forth whether the sacrifice or whatever it is that I'm doing. And, and that's the thing that, you know, that's the thing that just keeps, it's just the drum that I keep hearing in my head. Yep. What do you have to do to approach him? What do you have to do to approach him? And if you have a skin disease, you've got to go to the priest. You then now have to have that, that disease uh, declared. You've got to be declared clean. And then this really interesting thing happens, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, which is then what do I bring? And I bring the sacrifice. Uh-huh. So, so that's kind of how I've been yeah. looking at it. 
And this, and that's, and we're up to verse ten. On the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean, and uh, those things before Yehovah at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and the log of oil, and wave them as a wave offering before Yehovah. Then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills uh, the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest's, so is the trespass offering. Uh, it is most holy. Yes, Keith. 13, Nehemiah, at the end of verse 13, when you read, when you hear these words, he used to slaughter the lamb in the holy place where the sin offering and the burnt offering are slaughtered, like the sin offering, the guilt offering, uh, our slaughter, I'm sorry, uh, offering belongs to the priest, and mm-hmm. then it says, it is most holy. Does that make you slow down and stop, or do you just keep reading? So I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that I necessarily slow down, but it does def, uh, very clearly define here a category, and there are two categories mm-hmm. of sacrifices. There's the Kodesh, the holy, and the Kodesh, Kodeshim, the most holy, oh, yeah. and I think we've uh-huh. already discussed this, how some of them, one of them has to be eaten in a holy place, and the other one needs to be eaten in a clean place. And the difference is that the holy place means within the, the courtyard of the t- of the tabernacle and mm-hmm. later the temple, or as a clean place is anywhere where um, you know where there is not ritual uncleanliness. Right. Um, and so this being most holy has to be eaten specifically within the confines of, of the temple um, complex of the courtyard. Okay, there it is. Okay, awesome. and uh, fourteen, the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put now. Here we are again. I I don't know if we talked about. It. I, okay, I'm just going to read it, and the we priest did. shall. We did. We shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil uh, and pour it onto his palm of, of his left hand. And the priest shall dip his right finger into the oil that is in the left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before Yehovah. And the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of uh, his right hand, and on his big toe of his right foot, on the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed, so the priest shall make atonement for him before Yehovah. Uh-huh. Keep going? No, no, no. I, rather than continuing to read it, um, so let's just, again, innocent, let me just be innocent. So I'm imagining I'm the person, and I'm the person who's got the disease, mm-hmm. and I'm the person who's out of the community, and who knows, maybe I have a family, maybe I have, you know, who knows what my situation was, my, my income was based on, commu- I mean, whatever it was, yeah, sure. and I, this disease comes on me, and, 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 and someone says, here's what you have to do <clears throat> to be brought back into the community. I wouldn't care if I had to stand on one foot, turn around three times, jump up and say the word, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. I mean, the point is... This, this, these requirements are the requirements for that person to be brought back into the community. You know what it makes right? me think, Keith? Yeah, you know, I mean, we did last time we did read through the story of Naaman, right? And Naaman said, right. you know, if he had given me some stuff to do, you know, exactly. something more impressive, then I would have, you know. But now he just <laughs> wants me to go and get in the mud seven times. What is that about? I'm going home. You know, and maybe yeah. if, if something like this was presented to him, he'd be going, oh, this is kind of mystical stuff well, here. Yeah, let's, let's take that passage and we say, we take, we take Leviticus 14, we place it in there, and, and Elisha says this, now here's what you must do. You mm-hmm. must do this, you must do Now all of us, we'd be like, oh yeah, this is amazing. This is, you know, this is the requirement that's here, 
it certainly doesn't, it's not, it's, it, scripturally we find that there are other things that have happened to have cleansing and to have healing, but as it pertains to approaching him, this is what he says to do. And look, we don't have to read every sentence, but I think understanding that that's what, what's happening is, uh, for me, that's the parole for me. And if you this had, is what you have to do to be brought back into the community. And so if you, you had it, you'd be happy to do it. And this is... Uh, I'd be happy so, to do it, and uh, I would jump up and down and what, if I, what, I was declared clean. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what, what's important to me is, and I think we read these before, I'll read them real quick again, is two verses in Deuteronomy. First one's in 21.5. Um, it says, Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for Jehovah your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of Jehovah, and that's talking about the priestly blessing, mm. by their word every controversy and every um, uh, matter of strife shall be settled. And what it actually says, uh, that's the New King James Version, what it says in, in Hebrew Literally, is every 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 strife and every plague shall uh, be according to their mouth, meaning what they say in, in matters of, of the leprosy and mm-hmm. is um, you know is by definition what makes it clean or unclean. And then it actually se- says that throughout the passage that the priest will proclaim it clean, or the priest will proclaim it unclean. Um, and then ver- chapter twenty four, verse eight of Deuteronomy, it says, "Take heed in an outbreak of leprosy." that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests and Levites shall teach you, just as I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Mm-hmm. So the way I'm looking at this is, is this is these particular passages, which, I mean, look, I'm not a, a priest. I'm a simple uh, Israelite. Um, you know, in, in, in the Jewish world, we have people divided into three categories, uh, Israel, Kohen, and Levi. Mm-hmm. And when they read from the Torah, they'll set, call you up and they'll say, okay, what are you? Are you a Kohen, a priest, a Levite, a Levi? Or Israel and Israelite, and I'm I've always my family's always been Israelites, and so we don't understand this stuff because uh, this was this was commanded to us, but they were the ones who were instructed to uh, teach it to us. And um, I read this, and I have I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what it's talking about. You know, it's got the the raised thing and and the and the you know the depression and the the greenish and the reddish, and I'm like, mm. what on earth is this thing talking about? You know, I need to go to medical school to understand this, or to preschool. And what we need are some good old-fashioned koanim to come and explain this stuff. That's the way I look at it. Amen. We've got to be aware of it, but as far as the details, we've got to go to the priests because this requires a certain level of expertise that the average person isn't expected to have. Mm, clearly. That's my that, take. That's, that's a really good point. And so it goes on in, in uh, similar detail to verse 32. This is the law for the one who has a leprous sore who cannot afford the usual cleansing. There's, uh, if you cannot afford it, you get to do you get a, there's a lesser uh, sacrifice and so on and so forth. It goes on in 33. Now, this is... I'm uh, sorry. I'm Keith. sorry. Keith. I'm sorry. Keith. Just one other thing I want to bring up, and I do think this is important, is I think it's. I always think it's. It always catches my attention because of my background and how I grew up. You know, I grew up in a very um, a depressed area in, in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and I think about this idea of okay, so if there were a temple, and you know, the Creator of the universe has this temple, and He says He come, and I lived on a block, for example, where some people on our block were very. We were doing very well. This was before the neighborhood changed and people moved. Mm-hmm. And then there were other people like us that didn't do so well. But I always think it's amazing the uh, the issue of economics, where he says, if, however, he is poor and cannot afford these, yeah. verse 21, he must take one male lamb as a guilt offering to be waived to make atonement for him, together with a tenth of any fine flower. The, the idea being that he's looking and he's saying, okay, here's the requirement. But for those of you that are not in a financial position to do what someone else can do, mm-hmm. look, here's what you can do, and it's, it's still accepted. And I, I just think that that's – I don't know. There's something about that that, that uh, blesses me that there's a, there's a concern for, the, for the, those that are, would not have the finances to be able to go yes. out and you know, purchase the big stuff. But it is they could still have the same well, benefit. So. There's a two-tier uh, – now, exactly. now, Nehemiah, can I ask, is, is that, does that apply to all the sacrifices or just some of them or – 
<laughs> okay. Nefemi's got the happy guess. <laughs> I, didn't hear, I didn't hear what was said because I went to get a glass of water. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I heard so does that apply to all the sacrifices? So I need you to keep that in there. All I'm saying is, Jonah, between you and me, it's awesome. Excellent. That there is a the concern for the, uh, the the those that are in the economic situation. Yes, that they're in. Now we can go to verse thirty-three. Continue. <laughs> Let's just keep going, shall we? And Yehovah spake to Moses and Aaron, saying, "When you have come into the land of Canaan, which I give to you as possession." Now, this is what it says, Keith. It says, "And I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession." Come is on that, with that. Is that what Woo! it says in Hebrew? Does it say, I will put it in there? Come okay. on. Well, no, yeah, he says, I will place the plague of leprosy in a house in the land of your possession. Yehovah. This is what I was saying last week. Yehovah. That's what I was saying last week, that this is not a physical ailment that we're, you know, the kind of things that we're used to, like Hansen's disease or, or you know, uh, things like that. This is some kind of a spiritual plague. That's certainly how many Jews have understood it. And I think there's some justification for that. And, and I think with if we look at this from a modern scientific perspective, I mean, what on earth is this? A, a a house gets leprosy. I mean, you know, houses don't get uh, diseases, to the best of my knowledge. Um, I guess they could be infected with molds and things like that, and maybe that's what it's talking about. But um, I'm not so sure it's what it's talking about. I mean, it's talking about greenish and reddish depressions. I mean, yeah, you know what? Uh, what I don't know. I've that never seen that it. doesn't sound to me like I've never seen a mold like that. I've seen black mold. Like I got some in my yeah. bedroom. But, um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I think, you know, and we saw in the story of Naaman, and we saw in the story of Miriam, and we saw with, with um, Moses, through three examples, that this was something that had spiritual significance. It wasn't just a physical, biophysiological disease, but something that um, really uh, was subject to a spiritual, um, you know, terms of, you know, had to do with God and, and miraculous events. Okay, so but maybe I'm wrong. You but mentioned uh, just, Miriam, right? Now that was a judgment upon yeah. her. Is do we assume that, that this could? Wait, do we? Is this, is it possible this this is a judgment here uh, upon the house of someone that has stepped outside of it, Torah? It really doesn't say, does it? We don't know. It could be. I mean, um, why does right, it have it to be a judgment? Why can't it? Why can't it so simply why, be? Why are they bringing? Why are they bringing these atonement offerings if they haven't sinned? Well, this is the thing. We, we jump to verse 53. It says, uh, he shall let living bird go. He does a similar thing. Let the living bird go outside the city in the open field and make atonement for the house. And which, it shall which is amazing because, you know, is that literally for the physical house or for the people in the house? Atonement for the house. I mean, is this, the house sins and it needs atonement? Yeah. Well, it says it will be clean. It has to be referring to, to the house. It says it, the house will be clean. The house will be clean. Now, we see, now we see in the next Torah the portion... In the next Torah portion, I don't want to jump ahead, but we see something like that because there's a uh, there's atonement is made for uh, the tabernacle, right? There's atonement made for the altar and things like that. Does that mean that the tabernacle is in or that the altar is in? Maybe it means well, no, that, that the people. No, okay. there, there. I think it's very clear, and that's a good good point. Uh, that kind of supports what I was saying. That it's the people who are in the house that's in. Because mm-hmm. when we were talking about uh, um, atoning f- uh, over the um, over the the tabernacle, it's really the the ways that the the, the ways in which the tabernacle has been violated through the ritual mm-hmm. uncleanliness okay. um, in that context. But we'll save that for Leviticus 16. So there it is. Awesome. So he, he makes an atonement for the house and it shall be clean. This is the law for any leprous sore and scale, uh, for any leprosy of the garment and for a, a house or a swelling and a scab and a bright spot to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy and there ends the leprosy everyone take a deep breath <gasps> okay. no more leprosy 
Chapter 15, Keith Johnson, take it away. Well, I'm going to go get some water while you two discuss this. <laughs> no, this one's on you, Johnson. No, look, so we, we've actually yeah. talked about this kind of um, in a different program, and I'm going to refer people to that program. Mm -hmm. But then maybe we could just do a quick overview. Can we do that? Let's and then I'd like, to get Keith's input on, I'd like to get Keith's input on that as well, because that discussion that we had in the previous program, Keith wasn't there. So I'd like to hear a Methodist perspective on this. Okay, so but ba basically, Leviticus 15 breaks down into four sections. Mm -hmm. there, um, and uh, so, so two of them have to do with the man, an issue that comes forth from a man. Yep. And, and um, I'm not sure. So are we still saying this is a G-rated program, or are we just throwing this yeah, 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 Parental so guidance recommended, but uh, look, if the word is okay. used... So, all right, we're going to try to do this one uh, with the G PG rating, and then for the more graphic details, refer people to the, the, the separate program. There it is. Um, I guess. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, so anyway, so we've got the, we've got the, the male issue and the female issue, and, and the male issue we can get rid of real quick because that's pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. So we've got the – in both the male and the female, we've got the normal issue and the abnormal issue, the unusual issue. Mm -hmm. So a normal issue for a man – is verses 16 to 17, uh, quite simply, when a man and a woman have relations, mm -hmm. or if a man has a, a nightly emission, under those two circumstances, the man is uh, ritually unclean till evening. And again, the application of this is uh, in verse, and I think this is the, maybe the most important takeaway, <clears throat> is in verse 31, it says, and you shall warn the, uh, Leviticus 15, verse 31, you shall warn the children of Israel, excuse me, you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanliness, that they not die when they, uh, in their uncleanliness, when they uh, make unclean my tabernacle, which is in their midst. And so the significance of all these commandments in Leviticus 15 is really about if you're ritually unclean, you cannot come in contact with the tabernacle or the things related to the tabernacle, because that will cause you to either physically or spiritually die. Mm -hmm. um, and then a lot in the next chapter, Leviticus 16, a significant portion of the, the ceremony for the Day of Atonement is to atone for all those times that the Israelites did come into contact with the tabernacle and the holy things, even though they were ritually unclean. So male, normal male issue we talked about. The abnormal male issue is um, what normally would be referred to, or it's usually understood to be something like gynorrhea. Um, if you don't know what that is, uh, go, uh, go Google it. Um, but that's basically what's being described in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 2. It, and on is is really two through uh, fifteen is something like gynorrhea, where a man has a continual issue even though he's not having relations. Um, we've just now that puts away the first half of the chapter. Second half of the chapter, um, we have two sections here. One is the normal female issue and the abnormal female issue, just like we had the normal male issue and the ab and the abnormal. No, I'm confusing with the normal male issue and the abnormal male issue. Now we have the ab. Normal female issue and the abnormal female issue. The normal one is she has her period. Mm -hmm. uh, and from when she first begins to flow in her period, she then has seven days that she's ritually unclean. And during those seven days, uh, she's not to have relations with her husband. Right. Um, and again, for the more details, listen to the other program. The um, abnormal issue is where she has one of two scenarios. She continues to bleed past set the seventh day into the eighth day or um, the other scenario is that she has multiple days. It literally says Yamim Rabim, many days. She has multiple days where she's bleeding, which is not part of her regular period, and that's usually understood to be something like a, a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. uh, and under those instances, she um, she has seven bloodless days. And let me repeat that. So for the normal ish, the normal um, period, she has seven com seven days altogether from when she first starts to bleed. For the abnormal one, she has seven days where there's no blood um, that she counts. 
and she's forbidden essentially to her husband during that entire period, plus the seven bloodless days afterwards. Mm-hmm. That's the standing on one leg version. There's much more details in the other program. Keith Johnson, take it away. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. Well, and I, just before you do, Keith, I just mentioned to everyone, yeah. I will put a link to the conversation that Nehemiah and I had. Boy, Nehemiah, what, a year ago maybe? I don't know. Maybe it was a year ago. And something like that. I think it was maybe like more that. than a year. First but just, just to clarify for the, for the parents, that other program is not a um, – is not oh, a peachy program. Jeremy swears so. all the way through it, so don't have the <laughs> no, kids listening. No, look, we're talking, we're talking about in very graphic detail. <laughs> yes, um, as I recall, um, the commandments of the Torah. It's thorough, and my that, goodness, that is, well, like you said, there's a as there's it, a, as there's it applies a, um, to adults. Yeah, and there's still there is, and let me say there is there is so much detail in that. And it was so clarifying that we still get letters of appreciation and comments of appreciation in regards to that one. So uh, it's 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 excellent, Keith. What are your thoughts? I, I just want to say, I think first of all, I'm, I'm appreciative that you guys uh, have have an option for people to 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 do that. But for those of us who are, you know, kind of, um, how can I say it, uh, less uh, less uh, interested in dealing with all of the graphic details, I do think there's really something important that I was not aware of in my um, background, having been a Methodist, mm-hmm. and it just has to do with this issue of. Um, how important the issue is regarding, and I'm specifically speaking of, of uh, men and women in terms of marital relationships, uh, relations that they have with each other. Sure. I didn't understand the significance of what was going on with women regarding this idea of um, not being um, approachable during that time. And I've seen it. Um, I've seen it go to an extreme. And I think I talked a little, excuse me, about this before, where mm-hmm. because of not understanding what sort of the the basis or the foundation of it is. There have been um, a number of interpretations that have really, if I can say this carefully, um, put women in a bit of a, an oppressive state mm-hmm. that, that somehow that because they have this, this, this thing that's hardwired into them during that period of their life, this monthly period that takes place where they are separated um, from both from their husband and this idea of them not being ritually clean, um, that it's actually been used in a, in a negative and in a sort of an oppressive way. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, I've, I've brought that up before. I have since looked at it and appreciated the idea that um, that that God would give women this period of time for them to be separated and not to be seen as a punished a punishable situation, but rather as a a place of cleansing and a place of purity and a place of all the wonderful things that take place in the women's body mm. uh, regarding that, and that during that time that a husband would actually see that as a blessing and not a curse. Amen. Um, I've actually, Amen. as a result of reading this and understanding it and applying it in my own life, it's actually brought me to a place of real appreciation, not only for my wife, but for this, fa- this very fact that it's brought in. Now, I know that there are a lot of people that will say, okay, we're getting close to the edge here. But, you know, so many times we have this attitude, especially from my background and my, 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 my heritage, um, you know, all of this is unapplied. It's not, there's no application here. It doesn't matter. It's been mailed to the cross. We don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. But this is actually something that's really, really important for for women, for men, and for their relationship together. And so, you know, we can go we can go into greater detail. But I just wanted to give the perspective that it's actually been a blessing to understand it and to apply it. It's mm-hmm. actually been a blessing and not something that's some some great burden. That's mm-hmm. as much as I'd like to I'm, say. Look, I'm glad that you've said that uh, in the. Um uh, Keith, in the in the tradition that I've come from, uh, well, even in other people's testimonies that have uh, also come from similar traditions and backgrounds, you read about the uh, the Christian that says to the Torah observant individual, "Oh, what are you going to kick your wife out? You know, when she's on her period, you're going to kick her outside the gates." Or where, where does it say that? And the, you get these ignorant oh. comments, and the uh, and there's a lot of confusion. But listen, 
l let me say this though, Jono, and I want to I want to throw a bone, and you guys can stop me on this. I think that what happens, I think that what happens is we've been so conditioned to see this as sort of so disconnected from our culture, our lives, apl applying it, that of course we think that if you do attempt to apply it in your life, it's just it's un it's it's unattainable. It's something mm. that you can't do. And and let me and I don't want to be funny about this, but you know the blessing of this whole process of male and female, husband and wife being together, and then this this period of time that comes from your wife. I mean, for me, I mean, Jonah, you're married, but I have to just say, I want to thank I want to thank um, those that have actually been willing to discuss this sort of thing, because Nehemiah doesn't remember this. I remember talking some years ago about this with him and saying, so Nehemiah, so. Counting days and seven days after this and how many? When do I ever get to be with my wife? And it was such a mess. There was such a mess. This was really funny because we, he doesn't remember it. It was over a glass of wine. We, we we sat down and we were talking about the counting of days and the difference between the categories that he just brought up, mm -hmm. the normal and the abnormal. Can I use those words? That the basically that sure. there was a difference and I had gotten confused because I didn't keep reading and, and I and a lot got of confused do about get it. Confused, yeah. And they get confused, and then well, all of a sudden they think this is ridiculous. Tradition enters here. Tradition exactly. enters here, and that, that confuses people because they're like, wait a minute. you know, This is complicated stuff. I don't understand it, but I read this tradition that this is what you're supposed to do. Okay, they must know better than me. But if you look down into the sources of tradition, you find out this is, these are actually things that the, that the rabbis themselves admit were takanot, that, uh, that is, these man-made uh, additions to the Torah. Exactly. What they essentially did. And maybe we should use the word usual and unusual rather than normal and abnormal. But mm -hmm. what they did is essentially they took the, the unusual um, scenario of seven bloodless days and they said that's how we're going to treat all usual uh, periods. And what they did is essentially create this oppressive system mm. that is not what was commanded in the Torah. Now, I want, I want to bring a passage here, which is Numbers chapter 5, because you say, Jonah, where do they get this ridiculous idea to send the woman outside the camp? And it is ridiculous to me. I mean, you know. It's, it's moronic. But where they're getting it is from a misunderstanding of Numbers chapter 5. Now, Numbers 5 is talking about when the Israelites are in the desert, mm -hmm. and they're in this tiny little uh, camp, and Yehovah is essentially in that camp, it, we're told, yes. um, that there's the tabernacle smack in the center of the camp. Yes. And he says, command right. the children of Israel, that the, that in verse 2, command the children of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper and every zav. Now, zav is uh, a man who has this... Um, continual issue, something like mm -hmm. diarrhea, mm -hmm. um, and every uh, impure from the dead, um, from male to female, you shall send them away. Outside the camp, you shall send them, and they shall not defile the clamp, a camp that I dwell in their midst. Now, e now, what this is talking about is this you know, special situation where they're in the army camp with God, and even then, they're not saying send away the women who are having their normal periods, mm. or a man, a man who has just had relations. Uh, or nightly emission, they're not saying saying to send them away because then there'd be nobody left in the camp. <laughs> you know, uh, it's only the the very um, extreme forms of ritual impurity, which is leprosy, the the gynorrhea type situation, mm -hmm. which is obviously extremely unusual, and um, someone who's touched a dead body. Those people were be, to be sent outside the camp. Now, it doesn't mean we should kick those people outside of our cities because this is talking specifically about this camp situation. Sure, I right. think the application in modern times. Um, well, I don't know if there is an application today, but when the temple is rebuilt, the application will be not to approach the actual temple um, because that is the um, area that, you know, where Yehovah, his presence, his name is, is, is dwelling. Um, but even, even here in this, in the situation of the army camp, it's not kicking the woman outside of the, uh, who's having her period outside the, outside the, 
the house. Excellent. And, and it's simply a misunderstanding. I mean, you know, I'm they, glad, they're, I'm they're, glad you brought that okay. up. Okay. No, because I've had Let's people say, say that. that to me even. All right. So, I and, this is, and this is where they're getting it. They're missing understanding the context here. And even in the context, it doesn't say that. So, so listen, I know we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get a chance to do two portions, but I, I, I do want a chance uh, maybe at the end of this one or at the beginning of the next one to talk a little bit more about this idea of uh, where the holy place is, because uh, I've had quite an experience there. And I'd like to bring that in the uh, context of our discussion. Excellent. So we can do that on the next round. Okay. Let's keep everybody on the edge of their seat. This is going to be, uh, awesome. we're, we're coming up to. Uh, chapter 16 of Leviticus awesome. of uh, Akaremot is the uh, mm-hmm. is the Torah portion. We're going to kick off with some of Keith's recent experiences. Before we do that, no, and I would like to say thank you to Nehemiah because he knows for the last three weeks I've been saying, "How are we going to get through 15? How are we going to get through 15?" <laughs> I want to thank you, Nehemiah. You were very sensitive. Jono, was that I relatively painless? <laughs> well, that was really that was it. In, that was it in a nutshell. <laughs> this is probably a record, that, you know. No, but now before we go, yes. now I now I need to clear something up. I think I've stumbled onto something big here, and I just want to clear it up with you guys. Uh-oh. In in verse 22. Whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean till evening. Uh, right? Now, 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 anything on which she sits, it goes on to say, or if he touches it. Now, now, what I want to know, in all seriousness, Nehemiah, Keith, yeah. is this a Torah precedent for leaving the toilet seat up at least one week of the month? And folks, this was a great show. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, and before we end, though, can I, in all seriousness now, joking aside, um, you know, read uh, Ezekiel 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I've read this before, but I want to read it again. Uh, it's talking about uh, two different scenarios of a person who's righteous and, uh, and a person who's not righteous. And, um, and it talks about in verse 5, it says, A man shall be righteous, he shall do justice and righteousness. And then it gives us a few specifics of things that he does. It mm-hmm. says he does not eat to the mountains, which apparently is some kind of pagan ritual. Where they would eat food dedicated to the gods of the mountains, um, and he doesn't lift his eyes to the uh, uh, abominations of the house of Israel, meaning to the idols, mm-hmm. and he does not defile his neighbor's wife, meaning he doesn't commit adultery, and he doesn't approach a woman uh, who is nida. Yeah. And again, listen to the fuller program to understand exactly what that is. But this is so important that it's listed here in Leviticus 18. How many things does it list here? This is one of the key things. This isn't some minor trivial commandment. This is actually a very important thing. Mm. Amen. Okay. Amen. Thank you, right. Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon. Their books and DVDs are available from Truth to You, where you can freely download these and other Torah pearls. There's a whole page, my friends. If you've, if you've just tuned in, there is a whole page of Torah pearls from Bereshit right until now. We're going to be continuing on until it's finished. So tune in next time when we are going to be in Acharemot. 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 Leviticus 16.1 to 18.30. And until then, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's word. Shalom. So what are you telling me? You're telling me that, that you know, you're squashing my, my, my toilet seat possibility? Well, but... I'm trying to ask you. So, so what are well, we... <laughs> I grew up with four sisters. I always put the toilet seat down. (laughs)